0: Well, please remain seated and turn with me, I remain standing, and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read verses 22 through 39. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 865, at least starting there. Luke eight twenty-two to 39. Beloved saints, this is our God's word given to us that we might know him. Uh, Please give your attention to the reading of it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee when Jesus had stepped out on land there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time he had worn no clothes and he was not and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs when he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high god I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What then is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission and then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got out of the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And so ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Let us ask his blessing on our time in it. Our gracious God, you who dwell... Within the pages of your word, we long to know you. We long to see you revealed within the scriptures. And so we ask that you would open to us the beauty of your word. Open the eyes of our hearts to behold the King of glory and give us faith to receive all that we see in your word. Amen. You may be seated. In verse 25, our, our passage, once again asks that question. Who is this? And it's not the first time that this question has been asked in Luke. In fact, that question keeps being raised in one way or another. And it's because Luke wants us to wrestle with it. With that question of who Jesus is. And over the years, the church has come up with a lot of good statements about Jesus. Uh, One of my favorites is the Nicene Creed. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism says something similar. It says this, Jesus is the eternal Son of God who became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. These are good. Uh, they are helpful, they are accurate, and they are true. But if we want to be honest, they tell you more what Jesus is, then they tell you who Jesus is. If I asked you who your mom is and you tell me she is a middle-aged biped of average weight and strength with decent health and gainful employment, well, that might be true, but it really doesn't tell me much about who she is. It tells me what she is, but not who she is. If you're going to tell me who your mom is, you're going to have to talk to me about her character. And if you're going to talk to me about her character and her personality, you're going to have to tell me some stories. Because who we are is revealed in what we do. This is why the Bible has four records of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all tell us the life of Jesus. And they tell us about his life so that we might know him. We can't know him from an academic description of what he is. As as important as those are, as necessary as those are, as helpful as they are, they're not enough. We need to know Him because we have placed our hope and our trust and our faith in Him. Our eternity rests on Him and so it really matters who He is. And let's face it, life is hard. It's scary. There are so many things that bombard us and hit us and challenge us every day. Change, we hate change. And then there's our finances, and our family, and our safety, and our health. And there's concerns about personal security, and there's, there's concerns about personal freedom. And there's, there's concerns about employment, and our relationships, who we will marry, and, and what our children will be like. And whether or not others will understand us, and whether or not others will accept us, and love us. And these aren't even the eternal questions. Because we also worry with questions, am I good enough? Why do I struggle with sin so much? Why do I fail so often? Something I've found over the years is that when people are really, really honest, what they worry about the most, more than anything else, is whether or not God can truly love them and accept them. And whether or not there's room in heaven for them. And so who Jesus is is important because we claim to put our trust in him. And if we do, we better know who he is. And that's why Luke keeps bringing up this question. This is what he wants us to know. But to answer that question, he has to tell us stories because they reveal who Jesus is. And that's what our passage is about today. What I hope to show you from these two episodes, the crossing of the sea and the healing of the demon-possessed man, is simply this. Jesus is the God of Israel who rules over all creation and assures you that he will deliver you from your greatest enemies. That Jesus is the God of Israel who rules over all creation and assures you that he will deliver you from your greatest enemies. And to see this, we, we first need to look at the defining story of who God is in Israel's history. So we're going we're gonna to go back and look at that. And then we're gonna, we want to look at how crossing the sea and drowning the demons in our passage connects Jesus to that episode, to that defining moment in Israel's history. And then hopefully we will be able then to see why this should comfort us in the face of our greatest fears. That's where we're headed this morning. So buckle up and hold on because we're going to cover some territory. But I, I, I think it will be doable. Um, I want to spend some time in the Old Testament because throughout the Old Testament, God was reminding his people of who he is. And he didn't say things like, remember, I am a spirit, infinite, eternal, and, and unchangeable and my being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That would have been a mouthful. It would have been true. But it's not what he said. You know what he said, because we read it every Sunday as we come to the reading of the law. Those words, this is how God always defined himself to his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is how God describes himself, identifies himself over and over. And the reason he does that is because the deliverance out of Egypt was the defining moment of God's relationship to Israel. That's when he revealed who he is in that event. And so I want to spend a few minutes rehearsing the, the climax of that event as it's recorded for us in Exodus 14. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen you, you you probably remember uh, what led up to it. For 400 years, God's people had been living in Egypt. That's a long time. 400 years ago was 1621. It's a long time ago. They went down there in the days of Joseph during the Great Famine. But over the centuries, two things had happened. The first was that the Egyptians had forgotten the debt they owed the Jews. And the second thing is this, that as the Jews grew in strength and number, they began to scare the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians did what people do when they're scared. They grew angry. They began to hate the Jews. And they enslaved them. They bound them. They shackled them. And that's how things continued for a long time. And then God said, enough is enough. And he sent Moses to Pharaoh and told him to let his people go, but Pharaoh would not. And so God began sending plagues upon Egypt, ten of them in all, each more severe than the one before it. And until eventually, death visited the firstborn of every household in Egypt. And Pharaoh finally relented and let Israel leave. But then he did, as so many do, once the initial sting wears off. He changed his mind, and taking a legion of soldiers, he gave chase to Israel, as they were headed into the wilderness, and he caught up with them, on the shore of the Red Sea. But Exodus 14 tells us, something about this chase that it was God's idea. In fact, God says this in Exodus 14, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God wanted Pharaoh to pursue with his legion of soldiers so that we might better know who he is. The Egyptians caught up, as I said, at the Red Sea. They're encamped there. And the immediate response of the Israelites is, is fear. Great fear. And I get it. I see in front of you <laughs> the world's strongest army behind you. It's hard not to be scared. So they panicked. They even accused God of indifference, of not caring. Uh, In verse 11, they say this, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? And God's response was a question. Why do you cry to me? Why are you worried? Why do you doubt me? Don't you know who I am? Moses told the people, I love this verse. We have it on a sign um, in our house. Don't be afraid. You will see the Lord's deliverance. He will fight for you. You have only to be silent. That's the hardest thing for me to do. To not fear and to trust the Lord and to be silent and to wait on him. That's why prayer is so hard for me. I don't want to trust God. I want to fix things, even things that are wildly outside of my control. And then when God doesn't fix things in my timing, I I question his intentions. I'm a lot like Israel at the seashore. And then God told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea and it would divide and create a way for the people to go forward. And so Moses stretched out his hand and a strong wind came from the east and it blew the sea and a way opened up. And and where moments before there had been a raging sea, there was dry land and walls of water on both sides. And the Israelites knew and the Egyptians knew who the God of Israel is. Even the winds and the sea obey him. But the story doesn't end there. The Israelites, those those who had been enslaved and bound and shackled and chained in Egypt, they walked forward and they made it all the way through the sea. The waves and the sea and the winds, they didn't destroy them. They went safely through and they came out on the other side. And as they came out on the other side, they were free. The Lord doesn't just command the winds and the sea to obey him. The Lord is the God who sets captives free. That's who he is. But what about the Egyptians? surely they could follow the same pathway made into the sea. That's certainly what they thought. But as soon as the Israelites were safe on the other side, Moses stretched out his hand again, and the sea closed up. But you got to love how how it's recorded in Exodus. It says, The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Pharaoh and his legion those enemies of Israel were drowned in the very sea that God had brought his people safely through. Again, the point of all of this is to help the people know their God. So Exodus 14 ends with this, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. No longer did they fear the Egyptians. Now they feared the Lord because they realized he's greater than the Egyptians. And it's a good fear because they realized he's stronger than any threat, stronger than any enemy. They knew they could trust him. They could place their faith in him with confidence because they knew who he is. but going back to where we started, our greatest fear isn't our earthly enemies. The Egyptians were a great threat, but not the greatest threat. As the apostle states so well, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As Pastor Brian reminded us last week, The great slavery is not to foreign powers, it is to sin. Our greatest enemies are sin, death, and the devil. And the question is, can our God conquer these as well? And that's the question our passage wants to answer for us in Luke 8. Yes, I'm finally getting there. But my guess is by this point, you're, you're already hearing echoes in our passage from Exodus 14. And that's intentional. Luke may be a Gentile, but he knows his Old Testament scriptures well. He's, he's convinced that you can't truly know who Jesus is if you don't know your Old Testament. And so at every point he's pushing and driving us back to the Old uh, Testament scriptures. The, their allusions and echoes are everywhere. As we come into our passage in Luke 8, once again, the Lord is with his people at a sea. And in the middle of that lake, the winds pick up and the waves grow. And once again, they're scared and they even accuse the Lord of not caring. They're just like the Israelites at the Red Sea. They're just like me, raging rather than praying. And just like he did so many years earlier, the Lord asks, where's your faith? Why are you worried? Why do you doubt me? Don't you know who I am? And with a word he rebuked the wind and the sea and they grew still. The winds and the sea obeyed Jesus as they had obeyed God at that defining moment in Israel's history. And the disciples are supposed to put two and two together. They're supposed to understand who Jesus is. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of Moses, but they're not quite there yet. Like Israel, their their fears move from the physical threat to the one who delivered them from it, but they are still asking, but who is he? More is needed. And so as they come to the other side of the sea, they meet with a homeless man who had been demon-possessed for many years. So tormented was this man that, that he wandered about naked, dwelling among the tombs. When we got too close to the city, they would, they would uh, seize him and bind him with chains and shackles like a slave. And really, that's what he was. Not a slave to his fellow countrymen, but a slave to demons, a slave to his tormentors, unable to free himself from their evil control over him. Jesus asked the demon to identify himself. And you have to love the response. They say, legion. We are legion. this, This term doesn't just mean many. It means that but much more. It's a military term. It means many soldiers. They describe themselves as this army at war with this man. And if the disciples haven't caught the allusions to the, to the Exodus yet, hopefully they do now. They've just been brought safely through a raging sea. They see someone familiar with chains of slavery being abused by a great army of evil. They should know what the God of Israel would do. He would cast that army into the sea and drown them. And even if the disciples haven't quite figured out who Jesus is, the demons have. And so they beg him not to cast them into the abyss, that place prepared for the devil and his angels, that final place of torment reserved for the last day. The last day hasn't come yet, and so Jesus says, okay. Instead, he cast them into a herd of pigs who march into the very sea that the disciples just crossed like Pharaoh and his army did after the Israelites, and they're drowned. If commanding the winds and the sea was not enough, Jesus has now freed a slave and drowned an army. If you want to know who Jesus is, you need to look at what he does. Because that's how he reveals himself. It's how he's always done it. Luke doesn't just want to tell you who Jesus is. He wants you to see for himself. And yet Jesus' story doesn't end there. Luke, this isn't the end. We've got a lot more chapters to look through in in Luke. And just as the crossing of the Red Sea was only the beginning of Israel's story, so too is this passage just the beginning of Jesus' story. In the next chapter, Luke will point out that Jesus, like this demon-possessed man, has no home. Before the story is over, he will look more and more like that demon-possessed man. He will be bound, he will be shackled, and he will be stripped naked. And before the story's over he too will make his dwelling among the tombs. Jesus switches place with this man. And yet none of that is the worst of what he will endure. Romans 10:7 tells us that he would go to the place the demons begged him not to send them. He would descend into the abyss. And all of this he did because it was the cost of rescuing slaves to sin. All of this he did because it was the only way to conquer the greater enemies of sin, death, and the devil. Jesus trades places with us. He submits to slavery in order to free us. He allows himself to be conquered in order to set us free and deliver us. And in all of this, we see who he is. He is the God of Israel. He is able to deliver you from your greatest enemies. He's he's able to deliver you from slavery to sin. He's, He's able to conquer death. And he's able to bless you with eternal salvation. So how do you respond? Well, our passage doesn't leave us guessing. First, remember how Exodus 14 ended. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Two responses there. Rightly placed fear, learning to fear nothing more than God, to know that if the wind and the seas obey him, nothing is more powerful, to know that that, with God is the safest place in the universe to be even when your circumstances look terrifying. Fear is the first right response. And then faith. Trust that the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. Place your confidence in the one before whom even the demons cower. But in addition to faith and fear, Luke presents us with one more appropriate response, and that's to witness. At the end of our passage in Luke, the man whom Jesus healed begged that he might go with Jesus. And and we get this. Given the option, I think we'd all rather be with Jesus right now. Where else would we want to be? And to be certain, we will be one day. But for now, he's left us with a job to do. He calls us to tell others what he has done for us. We are to be a light in the darkness, uh, one beggar telling other beggars where we found bread. We're to tell others about the God who rules over all creation and has delivered us from our greatest enemies. But did you notice what Jesus said and how the man responds? Jesus said, declare how much God has done for you. Then Luke tells us he went away telling everyone how much Jesus had done for him because the man saw no difference. He understood that Jesus is the God of Israel who is revealed in what he does and who he is makes all the difference. Is it any wonder then that the only visible picture that Jesus left portrays what he did and not what he looks like? Did Jesus have light hair or dark? Was he tall or short? Uh, What color were his eyes? We don't know. Contrary to what some pictures would say, we don't know. Because none of that can help us. What can help us is what he did. He surrendered his life to save ours. And so the only picture we have of Jesus is a picture of his death. In the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, we see his flesh and his blood given in death for us. And in seeing what he has done, we see who he is. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have told us who you are. But more than simply telling us, you've shown us in every word and every action and every kindness, you have shown yourself to be the eternal God who commands all nature and it obeys, who knows our fears, our worries and our doubts and knows us by name and cares for us and that you came into this world to suffer for our sakes, to be bound and shackled, that our greatest enemy might be destroyed. In you, we truly have all we could ever need. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.